Please stand for the reading of God's word today. Our scripture for today is Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Man, it is, uh, it's, good to, it's good to be together. It really is good to, to gather. Um, we're, uh, we're kind of following the lead of the school a little bit, and so being on the happenings is super important uh, just because uh, the church doesn't stop. The church is, is not a building. The church is the people of God on mission as he is leading the church. So that's one of the reasons we called Sacred Mission, Sacred Mission Church, is it's not because of Christie's mission or Jason's mission. It's because of Jesus's mission. Jesus himself is on a sacred mission for the people of rural Iowa, and, um, and we're just being a part of that because he is alive and well. He's the head of the church. We're his body, and, um, and we're going to, uh, th- that will happen. Jesus will build his church, and he is, as we'll see this morning, he is pursuing, pursuing us, pursuing those in the city or just in our, our community, Collins, Maxwell, Baxter, Colo, Nesco, he's pursuing, um, and we'll see that, we'll see that in living color uh, with scripture this morning. Um, one of the things in the Lord calling us, I believe, to start a church and to plant a church and come around the other churches in our community is one of the things that, that we were seeing was, uh, and this was, this is a blessing, it, it really is a blessing, but there, it was, uh, it's really common in this area, in our community, for people to leave the community to go to church. Um, I think my parents drove about 150 miles every Sunday uh, to go to Sailorville and back, uh, to go to Sailorville in the morning, then Sailorville uh, in the evening, and that is a phenomenal church, and uh, the lead pastor even officiated my wedding, and uh, I love him to death, and I owe a lot of my, uh, just a lot to, to that church and love that church. And I was struck today with just a renewed awareness that I think a lot of Jesus is calling to us in planting this church was what would it look like for a group of people instead of leaving the community to go to great churches, what if we stay and be a great church in our community? Great in the way that Jesus describes it, and Jesus defines that. And we saw that in the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector last time. Not great that we lift ourselves up, but great that we humble ourselves so that he can be exalted in us and through us. And I just felt and feel that, man, what a, what a moment for us to be the church in our community 
at a time when even the word community, for us to figure out what, how do we describe that? What does that look like to be the church in community? Um, what, what does it look like for our Sunday gatherings? Like, we know we have today, and we'll see what next Sunday looks like, and we'll communicate and see how Jesus wants us to be his church next Sunday. I think historically what's amazing, though, is in moments of most uncertainty in society, those are moments you can almost just count on it that Jesus is on the move. That countless things that we trusted in, that we focused on, you know, it's like, if March Madness isn't going to happen, like, what do I do with this entire month? I have no idea, right? I had set my entire month to just dive deep into that world, you know. Our family had even started, you know, we got all the apps ready to go, you know, so that we could do a family uh, pool type thing, which the one who knows least about basketball always wins, you know. Um, and, uh, but it was like, well, what do I focus on now? What's my life supposed to be about now? And, and Jesus a lot of times is like, <clears throat> <clears throat> is it okay if, uh, if I could maybe speak and speak into this moment? And um, we see in times like this and have seen for hundreds of years that when it feels, you know, we're in the season of muck and mud and when you're in the mud, when you step on solid ground, you know it. When you step on solid ground, you are like, you're good. And uh, for us to be able to have the solid rock of Jesus at this time, to stand on him, the marginalized are brought to the center, the overlooked are seen, the lost are found. So one of the things that we're, uh, we've been talking as community group leaders, even, uh, and we don't want to be foolish, we want to be wise, but uh, this week in our community groups, it even looks like what we're going to try to do is just check on our community. And we're not going to go and hug everybody and shake everybody's hands, but we want to go to doors and just say, are you okay? Uh, is there anything you need that you don't have access to? You know, if someone's like, I haven't had toilet paper for two days, it's like, here's a few rolls I can, I can, I can share, you know? And, uh, and so even in our community groups this week, we're just going to check on our community and do it in ways and uh, people who uh, have, where that might not be wise health-wise, uh, we'll, have, we'll have things for everybody to do as we do that, uh, but, uh, but just a way for us to step into because we know the heart of our Savior. And that's what we're looking at today. What is the heart of Jesus for us, for our community at this time and at all times? And so Luke 15 is hopefully going to rock our world today. It has been rocking my world all week, and I want us all to jump in. Like I'm like, I don't want to have this treasure all to myself um, of knowing the heart of our Savior in seeing it in fresh ways. So Luke 15 uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some uh, underneath some of the chairs, or we have some out at our Connect table, and take it. It's yours. Uh, Luke 15 in the New Testament. So as you get through Psalms and all that, keep going to the right, and we'll get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1 this morning, uh, the parable starts, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Last week, we talked a lot about tax collectors and how even Matthew, as a tax collector, said, we are the worst. 
We are the worst of the worst, and we are bad people in our community. So if you missed that, we do on our, we have a Sacred Mission Church podcast uh, on iTunes, and I'd encourage you to just to see what Jesus says about the tax collector, his heart towards tax collectors. But one of the things that a tax collector would get away with is if I was a tax collector, I might go up to Jason and be like, hey, you know me, uh, we grew up together, and I am the tax collector, obviously, and you owe me $1,000. And I say this because a lot of times they knew the tax collector, and it'd be like, you owe me $1,000, and well, you owe the Roman Empire $1,000 is what they'd say, and if you don't pay up, I've got all sorts of things at my disposal. I can throw you in jail, I can make you a slave, I can, I can do all, I can beat you up, all sorts of stuff, and so pay me $1,000, and so he says, okay, here you go, here's $1,000, and then I take that $1,000, and I go to the Roman Empire and say, hey, I've collected taxes from Jason Celo, here's 600 bucks. And that's how a tax collector was so hated, because you knew he just pocketed 400 bucks. And the Roman Empire was happy because they got 600 bucks. Tax collector's happy because he kept 400. And then Jason's not happy, but he can't do anything about it. And that was systemic everywhere, was that's the way that tax collectors, if you refuse to pay, um, there's all sorts of stuff they could do. There was nothing you could do. You're being robbed in plain sight. The tax collectors had power. The tax collectors had money, but they were missing something huge. They were missing something that tax collectors didn't have. Tax collectors didn't have a clear conscience. If you were a tax collector, you did not have a clear conscience. They were filling their bank accounts and emptying their souls at the same time. What they truly needed was freedom from the penalty of their sins. That's what a tax collector needed more than anything, was they needed forgiveness and freedom. Because no matter how much that account grew, they were dying slowly because they recognized that they were earning on the backs of those who were powerless. So here we see, don't miss it, in verse 1, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. Can you believe that? How many of them were? There were four of them, right? No, look, I, like, I looked at that word over and over again. All, they were all drawing near to Jesus. Tax collectors and, and people who are notorious for their sins we're drawing near to Jesus. This is the power of Jesus. Jesus is so holy, he's so mighty, that one day he will judge the entire world. One day every knee will bow. It won't even need to be coordinated. It won't need to be like, okay, three, two, one, bow your knee to Jesus. It will happen involuntarily as the presence of Jesus is brought back to our earth in a unique way. Every knee will hit the ground. One day, Jesus will say to people who rejected him for a lifetime. Now catch that, it's important. One day, Jesus will say to people who rejected him for a lifetime, depart from me, I never knew you. He will, though, say to those who receive his gift of life, he will say to those who receive his forgiveness, he will say this, and this will be the most beautiful thing we'll ever hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Instead of tax collectors distancing themselves from Jesus, so you'd think a tax collector would be like, well, I better hide from this person. 
I better hide from Jesus. Instead of tax collectors trying to distance themselves from Jesus, they're all being drawn to Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, recorded by a tax collector. Matthew, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Tax collectors and notorious sinners were knowing, I can find rest for my soul as I move towards Jesus. Verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love tax collectors and sinners are taking Jesus up on his offer. That's what they're doing. They're taking Jesus up on his offer. They're all drawing near to him. And man, would this happen in our community? How great in our community to be like, oh, he's taking Jesus up on his offer. Oh, she's taking Jesus up on his offer. That if you come to me, that my burden is light, you will find rest for your souls. And we're seeing a restless people who look like they have it all together and have the power are being drawn to the one who truly has the power. The religious people should be like, this is what we've been praying for. Oh my gosh, our community is coming to Jesus. They are being set free. They are finding rest for their souls. This is what we fast for. This is what we pray for. This is what we give our lives for. This is amazing. That's what should be happening. Verse 2, Jesus tells us what's actually happening. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them? You know they said it in like a pompous way, right? They, they said it in a way that you just know it was stuffy. You know, you just know that it was like, I mean, surely Jesus rolled his eyes when he heard these people who had no clue what his heart was. No idea, like, why he was even here on the ground. And they're like, he meets with sinners? <laughs> you know? And they couldn't believe it. And I think he couldn't believe it. Like, man. I think that there's, like, this messed up theology that has gotten in somewhere where people think that God can't be around sin. It's like, well, he's all holy, and they're not, and so that would, like, make an explosion, you know? Like, God can't be next to sin. Man, if God can't be next to sin, like, he can't be in my presence. I don't think he can be around any of you guys. Like, that's not me slamming anybody. That's me knowing the state of our souls this side of glory. The blood of Adam that rejects God runs through our veins. Now the blood of Jesus covers us, and we can follow him, but we still have that running through our veins. We should never, ever say, oh, I stopped sinning in 1994. It'd be like, you disconnected yourself from reality in 1994 is what you did. Your God got really small, and you're not seeing yourself clearly anymore. Jesus has no problem spending time with people who were notorious sinners, being up close with them to the point that they want to be around him. 
they want to be near him. They're feeling drawn to him. So in light of tax collectors, notorious sinners, all drawing near to Jesus and the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the Pharisees and the scribes are the experts of the Bible, and they are grumbling that Jesus is spending time with these people. Jesus, out of all of that, tells two different stories. So he's like, I'm going to drop two stories on you, and I'm going to share with you my heart so that it cannot be missed what I am about, the way I see things, the way I see people. So verse 3 of Luke 15 starts this first parable. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one who is lost until he finds it? Okay, so he's just sharing this to everybody, wanting them to know his heart. A few observations just from this, these first two verses. Leaving the 99, going after the one who is lost, anyone raising sheep, Jason Silo, Mark Huntrods, other people in our community who uh, have spent decades raising sheep, like you're going to do this. Jesus assumes if you are a shepherd, you're going to do this. What's so fascinating, though, with Jesus is that he can actually go after someone and be present with other people, right? So if someone who's actually raising sheep, like if you're, you're truly going to leave the 99 and they're going to be over there and you're going to go after the one. But what's crazy is like the Pharisees and the scribes should know that Jesus can be present. Like he can be present with Christy and be present with me even if we're in totally different areas. Okay, so when he leaves the 99, he is like going after the one, but the heart of our Savior is like, I don't get less Jesus if Jesus is also going after somebody else. So the Pharisees and the scribes should not be grumbling at all because him loving these notorious people does not mean he's not loving them either. You know, he's not like a father that only has like one favorite kid. You're like, he's shown by his life, his death, and his resurrection that he is all in for all of us. Second observation in just these few verses is that Jesus is going after people who he says are lost. Okay? Lost. If I had a stranger just come up to me and be like, Tim, you're lost! I'd be like, I, I don't think I am. I know where I am. I, I think I'm not lost. I think I'm okay, right? And because, like, I could be at home or I could be here and I'd be like, hey, I grew up in Collins. I feel like I know this place like the back of my hand. Like, I'm not lost. For Jesus to go up to people and say, hey, you are lost. For him to say that about this sheep, being lost means that they either knowingly or sometimes, many of us have the story, unknowingly. You're not where you're supposed to be. Maybe you unknowingly are not where you're supposed to be. When Jesus tells us we're lost, whether or not we know we're lost, it means we're not where we're supposed to be. And he has that insight to say, you're lost. And you could be like, okay, you got to talk to me more here. Like, what do you see that I don't see? Jesus doesn't view someone from him who's far from him as an outsider. He doesn't be like, oh yeah, those people are sinners. I have no idea who they are. He's like, I know intimately who they are and they are lost and I see them. He views them as part of his flock. They're lost from him. 
from his flock. They're not where they're supposed to be as it relates to his relationship with them. A third observation, look at this. This is crazy. A third observation, see how he says he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Okay, if you are like a deer hunter, you know sometimes what that feels like, where it's like, I've been trailing this thing. Now, thankfully, he doesn't kill us. <laughs> it's like, I've been trailing this thing for four hours. How much longer? Like, when do you get the point where it's like, hey, man, you, have, you should have a clear conscience here. Like, you've been trailing that thing all day. Like, you just go home. It's okay, right? Or in the other areas of life, too, right? That's the one that I think of most. But here, Jesus What he's telling us about how he is is that he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. Not until he gets tired, but until he finds it. Man, do we have ears to hear this type of love? This is the level of one that's coming after us. This is the the level of love that Jesus has of how he is looking at us, even being heckled by the Pharisees and the scribes, saying, you even spend time with them? And he's like, you have no clue. My pursuing heart that's going on right here. They're clueless at the heart of the one that they're talking to. Jesus doesn't just tolerate us. He goes after us until he finds us until we are found by him. Then we see his heart when he finds it, or when the sheep stop running, when the sheep realize that they're lost, when the sheep allow themselves to be rescued. He would have every right, this is what I do with my dogs, I would go every, I'd go mean voice, you know, don't you ever do, you know, and just like, I've got this voice that I go into where like when I call for the dogs and they don't come in, like, and I'm like, I'm gonna teach them a lesson so that they don't ever just take off after a squirrel again, right? But he could do that. He could even, like, rough, rough us up a little bit to kind of teach us a lesson. Jesus does not act this way. After pursuing the lost sheep as long as it takes, look at what he does in verse 5. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You know, I mean, I'm trying to picture, like, just, like, gets it on his shoulders, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just, like, happy. He is rejoicing. Um, he's not like, man, I can't believe I do this for you guys, you know. He is rejoicing. Um, I was meeting with Mark Huntrods earlier this week, and, you know, he has spent decades uh, with sheep, raising and caring for sheep. He told me some great stories about sheep. But I asked him, I was like, hey, have you ever like taken a sheep that was like lost? And have you ever like put it on your shoulders? He's like, no way, man, no way. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, man, those things are just like, it would be just like all over the place. You know, it'd be moving a lot. It'd probably be like, like I mean, it would just, I'd probably get scraped up a little bit. Like it would just, I just wouldn't put it on my shoulders like that. And then he said, oh, and then second, he's like, it would probably go to the bathroom on you. (laughs) So he was like, that's probably the other reason that I wouldn't put it on my shoulders. And um, man, (laughs) 
I just thought to myself, like, that sounds like Jesus. You know, his love is so great that he doesn't care if he gets scraped up. He doesn't care if he gets all messy from us. He's just so glad that he's rescued a lost sheep. He doesn't scold us. He doesn't teach us a lesson. He draws us close because he's rejoicing. His heart, I mean, this is his heart for our community. Like, he's not in fear. His heart for our community is, is his love to rescue us. And then verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Man, a couple observations here. You don't fake a party, usually, right? Like, um, if you get your friends and your neighbors together for a spontaneous party, you don't care if they already have things scheduled. It's like, hey, br- drop everything you had planned, come over to my house, we're having a party. It's like, wow, who got engaged, right? Like some major spontaneous event has happened to draw that type of, I want everybody I know to be celebrating this moment. This is the, by the way, exact opposite of the people who knew the Bible the best, the Pharisees and the scribes. And then this is the heart of the one who authored Scripture and who actually, this is his heart. And so our prayers, we read this, is that, his heart would be our heart as we hear his words and his heart. Um, second observation is that Jesus takes total ownership of this wayward sheep. He says, I have found my sheep that was lost. Think of the person that you know that you're like, the world would explode if this person came to Jesus. If this person bowed their knee to Jesus, like it, it would be like, something I could never fathom. And Jesus saying, yeah, he's mine. She's mine. That's my sheep, my lost sheep that I'm going. And you might be like, I think that might be me. And it's like, yeah, he considers you his. My sheep that are lost. This should deeply affect our invitations for people to come and hear about Jesus is not being like, oh, there's this guy I follow. You don't, might not know him, might not care to know him, but like, um, maybe you could possibly come and check him out. Um, but to know, like, no, like, this is a person that Jesus is going to rejoice. He knows them. He knows them intimately, just as he knew me intimately when I was clueless to him, didn't care about him, didn't care about him rescuing me. And I was in college just feeling like I was just king of my mountain. And he tapped on my shoulder and showed me that he was the true king and uh, there would be nothing. He opened my heart knowing that, man, there'd be nothing I'd rather ever, ever do than know you. Know you, Jesus, is my savior. You're pursuing me. You're pursuing us. We're yours. And then third observation, what if our heart to rejoice and party was like Jesus' heart for our community? What if you hear of someone who is, who is considering the claims of Jesus and you're like, oh my gosh, the one who made me is on the verge of like a massive party, is on the verge of rejoicing because I'm hearing about someone who is coming to him. 
What if our hearts were not like the Pharisees, not like the scribes, but were instead like our Savior? What if we sat around a fire outside, which I'm hoping to do very soon? What if we sat around a fire outside, the weather's getting nicer, and we just start telling legendary stories of Jesus radically changing people in our community and knowing his rejoicing heart in seeing that happen. Then verse 7 is like, we wouldn't need verse 7, but he's just like, oh yeah, let me take it up a level. Verse 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. If any person in this church, if any person in this community, if anybody in Colo, if anybody in Baxter, if anybody in Maxwell gives their lives to Jesus, this passage tells us that there is a roar in heaven. I remember being in uh, um, Kampala, Uganda during one of the World Cups. And, um, and we were, I was there, I'd just come to Jesus the year before. I spent a month in, in Africa just with a friend of mine that I had met who was from there and was a pastor there. And he was like, Tim, just come for a month and we will wear you out, man. You can just love Jesus here. When you get on the plane, you will just pass out. And I was like, yes, let's do it. So Senegal was playing in the World Cup that year. Uh, this was 20 years ago or so. And, um, and I remember we were in a place that had no electricity, and, um, and it was just, like, really impoverished. And Senegal scored a goal during the game. And all that you heard in the slum that had tens of thousands of people is a roar started traveling. Because you knew if someone roared, like, if, if three houses just started cheering, you knew that we had scored. Like, you didn't have to know any detail. You just knew we had scored. And, man, it just it got to where even I was like, yeah. You know, as it just kind of, it was like the wave, you know, but it was happening through a community, and, uh, and only a few people had a radio, but the roar let everybody know what had just happened, and I love that that's what we're told is happening in heaven as someone gives their lives to Jesus. As Jesus finishes this parable about the lost sheep, he quickly pivots. He doesn't let there be space. He quickly starts another parable. So it's kind of like, I'm going to give it to you from this angle. Okay, now let me just give you from this angle too so you can see more fully what I'm talking about. Look at verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin out of ten, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? In the first parable of the sheep, we know that the sheep is searched for until it's found, but we don't know what it really took. Like, did he have to go over a bunch of hills? Did he have to kind of go through some creek areas? Like, we don't know really how hard it was for the sheep to be found. This parable gives more detail about the actual search. This woman is not letting one fiber of her house be overlooked in the search of this coin. Like, if I was looking for a coin, I wouldn't even think about grabbing a broom, right? I think I'd, like, lay down first and just kind of look and look. And then, so by the time you get to broom level, like, you're just like, okay, I just got to every inch of this floor, I got to touch and hopefully hear that things are clanging and stuff like that. Um, it's on the floor. She'll find it. She seeks diligently, not until she gets tired. She doesn't search until she calls the search off, saying we gave it a good try. She seeks diligently, you see here, until she finds it. 
I love that Jesus in both parables mentions, I am doing this until I find it. I am not tired. I'm not growing weary. You may say, go away. I enjoy being lost. Keep your distance. And he'd be like, okay, but I'm still pursuing you. I'm pursuing you until I find it. Because this is not, these parables aren't us to know the heart of a shepherd or for us to know the heart of a lady looking for a coin. It's told so that we'd know the heart of our God. We would know the heart of our Savior. And then verse 9, when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. So in the same way that the shepherd calls together his friends and neighbors, this woman calls together her friends and neighbors, asking for everyone to rejoice that the lost coin has been found. This is the treasure the coin was to her. And uh, I was going to like start looking up like, okay, what's the, I'm kind of interested in just archaeology and all that stuff. So I was going to be like, okay, what type of a coin are we dealing with? Is this a denarius? Is this a, what type of a coin? How valuable was it? Was it worth $50,000? Was it worth $500? Like, what was it worth? And then it struck me that I don't need to do any of that because what mattered was what it mattered to her. Who cares how much it's worth because we see how much it's worth to her. And it was worth that level to her. And so I might say, oh, I've got 10 of those too. But she was like, well, the, those 10 meant this much to me that I would do anything to find them. And that's, I mean, there's a song we sing at Christmas that's the soul found its worth. Like, like we understand our worth when we learn what Jesus thinks about us. What Jesus will do for us lets us see our worth. Then verse 10 is the exclamation point to this new parable, and just as it was the exclamation point for the other parable, verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So heaven once again roars when just one sinner repents, but here, there's something about the way that this is written that has really messed me up for, for many years now and, and uh, taken it to a level that I didn't anticipate it was going to take it. You see how it says that there is joy before the angels of God. So it doesn't say the angels of God here are rejoicing. It says it's in front of the angels of God, okay? So I would, you know, if I, like, was talking to Ellen or something, and she said, um, hey, there's something I'm looking at here. Like, there's something in front of me. You got to come see it. There's something in front of me. You know, I mean, the best thing that I would do is, like, stand next to her and kind of see what she's looking at, right? And then that would be like, oh, wow, yeah, that is significant that's in front of you. Well, what's in front of the angels? Their God is in front of them. Like, if we got next to an angel and looked, and we we're like, oh, that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our Trinitarian God. And what this is saying is that the angels are watching rejoicing happen over one sinner who repents. To think of our God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they are roaring, that they are rejoicing is just one sinner repents. This is the heart of the one giving himself for us. 
that our joy would be to call him our Lord. Um, as we kind of wrap up this, I love, uh, I came across this article written on a website called the Gospel Coalition this week. Um, I put it on Facebook too if you want a, a link to it or if you want to read it and stuff. Uh, but it speaks about just kind of this atmosphere of fear sweeping our globe and, um, and the lostness that this parable is talking to us about. And I, I, not, this isn't to discount the reality of COVID-19, but I think to also like put it in perspective. Um, the author says, Jesus came to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus, one that has struck, struck every man, woman, and child, a virus that ends not only in certain, absolutely certain death, but eternal death. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of a pandemic outbreak called sin. What is your hope in the face of that virus? The story of the Bible is the story of a God who enters a world infected with this virus. He lived among sick people. He wasn't wearing a chemical protective suit, but he was breathing the same air that we breathe. He was eating the same food that we eat. He died in isolation, excluded from his people, seemingly far from his father on a cross. All of that so that he might provide the sick world with an antidote to the virus. That he might heal us and give us eternal life. Hear his words, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives in believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Will you believe this? If you do believe this, you are not lost. You are found. Heaven has partied. You will live in him as found people. If you do not believe this, make no mistake, you are lost. If you do not believe this, if you do not believe Jesus, make no mistake, you are lost. I've sat across the table from a guy before and said, hey, this is kind of awkward to say, but I'm going to say it. I know you grew up in a church. You are not a Christian. You do not know the man. You are lost. That clarity can be a gift. But make no mistake also that Jesus is tirelessly pursuing you. Jesus is holding out his nail-scarred hands saying, follow me, be set free. I will rejoice. You will rejoice. They will rejoice. Come to me. All who are awake and weary, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Would you follow him today? Would you be found by him today? Will you humble yourself and recognize that you are lost? But being lost means that there's a home that you belong to. And Jesus considers you his. He is on the verge of rejoicing, a massive party, because your eternal direction of your life is on the verge of being changed. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to raise your hand. You could. You don't have to walk forward. You could. But what you must do is tell him today that he's now your savior, that you're putting your trust in him, giving your life to him, that he may rescue you, forgive you of all that separates you from God and changes you from the inside out. And if you're in here and you're like, I think I'm lost, would you be found? Would you give your life to Jesus? We would love, I'd love to pray with you. Uh, others would love to come around, pray with you. But most importantly, Communicate that to your God, who this is his heart towards you. This is the way he feels about you. For all of us, 
Will we rejoice in what Jesus rejoices in? Would we rejoice in what Jesus rejoices in? Will we never be a church that's grumbling with how much Jesus is hanging out with notorious sinners? What are they doing here? They don't belong here. Would we never be like that? Instead, would we be quick to be about what Jesus is about? Would we be a church in this community where our prayers are in line with Jesus' hearts? In the midst of fear in our community, uncertainty, would we stand on that certainty that Jesus is alive and well here? He's the great physician, the only one who knows the future, and he is diligently searching for the lost in our community. Can we pray together? Lord, I just thank you for your heart for us. I thank you that in these two parables, you share so much that we wouldn't know. I thank you that you have clued us into so much about what you're about here. Lord, would we truly be not a church that's trying to impress you, but instead would we be a church where you are the head, you are firing the neurons and the body is moving, and Lord, would your will be done here, how you want us to live in this week, in this next week, Lord, would we just say yes and amen? Would you direct us? Would you inform us? Would you inspire us, Lord? Would you give us courage to step into places that, uh, that only you, only your power, Lord, would, um, would be able to make those be beautiful things. And Lord, I just thank you that you say, abide in me and I in you, and that apart from you, we can't do anything, but with you, we can do anything you're calling us to. Lord, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, that says, I am lost, Lord, would they recognize that you are, you are poised and you even say in your word, today is the day of salvation. And Lord, would they give their lives to you? Let you wash them white as snow. Would they be found today? Would we be able to rejoice at their baptism um, in the weeks to come? Lord, change all of us from the inside out. Jesus, in your name, we pray these things. Amen. Um, so we'll, um, we, we typically take communion together. It's an incredible way to respond, but we wanted to just be very sensitive towards, um, towards uh, minimizing as much as possible, uh, just spreading anything. And so, um, but we would love to maybe at an arm's distance pray for each other um, and uh, recognize that like we're not pushing each other away. We, we need to be wise, but we also need to be moving towards each other as a church because that's what Jesus is doing for each of us as well. And so we'd love that if you're sick, if you're, you feel heavy for the Lord for areas, um, man, please come. Christy will just sing over us. Um, but could we all stand together uh, for as long as Christians have met together, um, there has been a benediction um, being a, our final kind of sending off together uh, for the Lord to direct our hearts together. If you want to hold out your hands, sometimes positioning and posturing our body can posture our hearts. Someone gets ready to give you a gift, you reach out to receive it. Um, if you're comfortable to do that, feel free to do that. This is from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen? All right, let's go together as a church under the peace of Jesus.